Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent, especially on a day like today. And don't forget, while you're here, to also subscribe to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel. Let's get into it. As you know, almost nobody ever wins at Allen Fieldhouse other than Kansas. That place is arguably uh, the greatest home court advantage in college basketball. Evans being that, the Jayhawks uh, have been a little shaky in different parts of the season, but still managed to win every single game that they played at home. They were 14-0 entering last night. Game 15 at home, it got a little trickier because Kevin McCullough was out again and because BYU, uh, which is ranked in the top 15 at Kempom, was in town by now. You know what happened. Final score, BYU 76, Kansas 68 inside Fog Allen. So Bill Self now has 18 losses at home in 21 seasons at Kansas. Dead leg, as you know, this is a, it's a show for us's. But we're not afraid to tip our hats to the Dems when they deserve it. Shouts sure. to the Dems. You just snapped the Jayhawks' 19-game home winning streak. Yeah, I know. And uh, yeah, we'll give them plenty of plenty of love. Um, trivia time. Who has the longest active home winning streak? I think you know this. Who has the longest active home winning also streak? Also played on Tuesday night at home. Oh, yeah. That's uh, Grand Canyon. No, it is Houston. Uh, 21 Oh, games. yeah. It's Houston. <laughs> so... Kansas is done, uh, but Houston has the uh, has the longest there. Uh, KU had won 19 straight overall at home, and it had won 67 consecutive games against unranked teams at uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse. I think it was 32 and one in this previous 33 home games against Big 12 competition. So, yeah, for BYU to play at Kansas for the first time in that building in more than 50 years and walk in in its first season of Big 12 residency. And act like it's no big thing, um, man. Oh man, how about that? That is a uh, <laughs> that's something, man. Um, I was thinking about the banner that uh, that hangs in there, and uh, I thought there was a motto, but I'm not going to say it on the show because it might be a little, <laughs> it might be a little bit too inappropriate even for this. I'll text it to you on the side in a second, but <laughs> pay pay heed all who went except for those who. Mm. Anyway, um, BYU, good job, seventy six sixty eight. 
And no McCullough is, is a, is a major thing. And we'll get to Kansas in a second. If you're watching live, the poll question today is how far will can where will Kansas season end? Will it end in the final four elite eight sweet 16 or first weekend? So if you're watching, feel free to vote on the poll and I'll share the results here in a little bit. Uh, the result to me, GP is more about Kansas than BYU, but I'm going to give some love to the winning team. Dallin hall, uh, hitting some big shots, couple, couple big threes there and doing so, um, despite even having, you know, some foul trouble amongst amongst its starters there. I was really impressed by Mark Pope's team. This is a BYU crew that has rated well in metrics for the majority of the season, but had kind of, and understandably so, just had drifted back a little bit to like, okay, they're another good Big 12 kind of team. Um, they're now back up to 15th at Ken Palm because as a result of this, they were still top 20 before this. They haven't they haven't fallen out of the top 20 period the entire season. But this is the kind of when even against a shorthanded Kansas team um, that I think uh, lends more credence to the idea that BYU very well may be among your highest variance teams in the NCAA tournament. So if you're watching the show on this Wednesday morning, if you're listening, whenever you're listening, we obviously appreciate you in the car, on the run, however you're getting it done shopping. But consider this with BYU, folks. They like to take threes at a rate that is among the most frequent in the sport. They're fourth highest in three-point rate. The only teams that shoot more, a higher percentage of their three-pointers in comparison to their entire shot arsenal is North Florida, not going to the tournament. Princeton will see... And then Chattanooga. There's not really a high major team other than Creighton and maybe Villanova that builds so much of their offense around the idea that we're just going to launch and launch and launch. And what's interesting about BYU is that it only makes, I say only because this is okay, this isn't great. It makes 35% of its three-point shots. So Mark Pope is is all in. They move the ball extremely well. Um, Fusini Traore had a, himself a nice game, and he is uh, a key cog in that. I thought that he was important there in addition to Dallin Hall, and I've raved about Ali Khalifa and his passing ability overall. It came up big for them on Tuesday night because they wound up going 13 of 34 from three-point range in hostile territory. I can't remember, Parrish, if I said it on the show. I know I said it on HQ, but I thought that BYU was capable of getting a win in the building because of the way that it shoots, but I thought that it would need to get a little bit lucky here. I thought actually it was going to have to crack 40% from three. It technically did not. That 13 of 34 is a 38% clip, but it was enough, and Kansas did not shoot well from three whatsoever. Um three of 15 it's kind of resembling uh creighton's win at home over yukon obviously kansas was at a home here so um kansas to me again is the side that uh, i think this is more relevant to but let's give some love to them and uh, to the winning side good job by byu that is a speed line bump yeah i, I don't care who is on ku's team you go into allen Fieldhouse and win you've accomplished something um there's no um reason to try to discount what happened last night from BYU's perspective, but it is true that Kansas was missing its best player. And as we've talked about all season, they already have no depth. Um, they have five reliable players on their team, period. Oh, five reliable. Pause button real quick. Cause did, are you, have you been on my side of this just recently? Cause I, I, I was the I, I was maybe the only person in the preseason who genuinely believed that Kevin McCullough Jr. would be Kansas's best player when everyone was saying Hunter Dickinson should be in the running for national player of the year in the preseason. Is this a new development on your end, GP? Oh, I was not there in the preseason. You got there before I am, but like, you know, I watch basketball. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's been it's, their best player. Especially because he is just super reliable on defense and now not having him is a major issue. Yes. yes. And Hunter's the opposite of that on defense. Yes. Uh, I, I say that respectfully. He's a, 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 a great college basketball player, but um, he is problematic on that end of the court. I, yes. I think Kevin McCullough is, is Kansas's best player. Um, and I would not have said that before this season started. What I also believe is that they only have five reliable players. Like I said this last night on uh, CBS Sports Network, Inside College Basketball, and it got clipped and got retweeted. And some BYU fans are like, well, you know, I think they recruit more than five players. Like, well, of course they do. I mean, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I, I said what I said. They have five reliable players on their roster. That's what they have on the roster. However they got to this point is how they got to this point. But they have five reliable players on the roster, and one of them is hurt. All right? And, and he's the best one. So, listen, Bill is so great, and those other pieces are so good that they're still going to be able to go get a Texas here or an Oklahoma there. You know, it's like it's not they're not going to go from good to, you know, bad, but they're going to go from good to, you know, vulnerable even inside their home arena. And if you saw Bill's comments last night after the game, he was like, I could see this coming. You know, um, we had no energy at shoot around. We had, um, you know, a lack of focus. And, and you know, yes, we are. Bill didn't say this part, but I'll say it for him. And we're missing our best player. And we only have, we only have five reliable players anyway. By the way, Nick Timberlake got the start in place of Kevin McCullough. One of nine from the field. I mean, that's a, yeah. You you take you take a first team All American level guy out of your starting lineup and you throw in somebody who's going to give you one and nine. Well, that that's how you lose at home to BYU. I think his only basket was a dunk too, by the way. So, yeah. um, and I, I'm shocked that he hasn't been better because like you look around and all of these mid major guards or a lot of them are like they're actually popping at the high major level. You know, they, it's working. And you know, Tristan Newton was a a, 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 a mid major guard and. Yeah. And Mark Sears was a mid-major guard, and uh, Dalton Connect was a mid-major wing, and they're popping. And it, the, the Timberlake thing just has it. And what's wild is they—it wasn't even in the preseason like we were going. Well, who do you think is going to be better, uh, or 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 which one do you think can be good? El Marco Jackson or or or, or Nick Timberlake? It was like, would, like what? If, it never occurred to me that neither one of them would be hopeful. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I thought one of them would be better than the other, and they'd both be good. And as it turns out, neither one of them are helpful. So, you know, Bill sort of touched on some of this stuff last night. Just like, hey, this is I, I could see this one coming. I couldn't see it coming because, like I said, on CBS Sports Network, you, you, you tell me Bill sells coaching in Allen Fieldhouse. I just assume he wins. OK, GP, but you got to play point guard. All right. Well, we'll still figure this out. You know, we'll figure it out. I think he, he could win with just about anything in that building. But last night he got caught. It's his 18th loss at home now. Mm -hmm. According to KU, just to update the numbers. Yeah. Bill entered this season with an official record at Allen Fieldhouse of 299 and 17. He's 14 and 1 now this season. So that's officially 313 and 18, 94.6%. 94.6%. <laughs> Bill Self is more likely to win a home game against anybody than Steph Curry is to make a free throw. Think about that. That's one hell of a nugget and a really and cool he, perspective. It's insane. And, and he's and he's he's doing it in a, in what is typically the best league in the country. And once again, this season, seven undefeated seasons at home in his tw previous twenty years at Kansas. But obviously, um, this is not 
going to be the eighth. And just uh, I'll wrap with this and you can do whatever you want to after that. But I also appreciated Mark Pope's comments after the game. Like, I like it when when people can appreciate a moment. And he seemed to like, why, you know, we're in this place. Like, look around like this. This place is amazing. And like, look at that coach. He like actually said to win in this place against that coach is like, you know, that's wild stuff. Uh, and so he gave proper credit to Allen Fieldhouse, proper credit to the greatness of Bill Self. And this is something we've been saying for a little while now. He's been fabulous at BYU. Like it, the, the, to re-energize that program and then have it transition into the Big 12 and and be good. I moved him up to 19th in the top 25 and one this morning. You know, that's a that's a quality basketball thing. Um. I would presume that the way the scheduling will go, uh, I don't know if BYU and Kansas will play two times next season, but Kansas will have to play at the Marriott Center next season. And so, yeah, BYU will actually, if it can have a solid roster, and Kansas should obviously be Kansas, but it will have the uh, the rare chance of, of really being in an advantageous position potentially to uh, to hold a winning streak against KU. But we'll see how that goes. And yeah, for Pope to walk in. I say this, uh, you know, half serious, half joking. Um uh, savor this one because if you told me that BYU lost its next ten trips to Allen, okay, <laughs> I would believe you. Like it's not unreasonable. What, what, what? So, like if you're a BYU fan in particular, like this is not normal. <laughs> don't get don't get comfortable and cherish this one because hell, maybe you win the next time out. But y- if you're going to share a conference with this school for the next twenty years, and who the hell knows if even that's going to happen, you might not never win again. And how, how about this? You know? I wonder, I'd love to get a, 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 a math-minded person to tell me where, where, how to play this one. If somebody said you could bet $1,000 on Kansas going 10-0 and at home in its next 10 games against every Big 12 opponent, how would it work out for you? Ooh, yeah. Someone do the math. Like, like Houston, Houston might cause you problems. Yeah. Houston, but how many people are going to cause you problems? Or against your average, against your average Big Twelve opponent, kind of. Yeah. Do the uh, the equation that way. That would be. Uh, that. I would mean, we be, might need to do, not do ten because of uh, you know Bill's age, but maybe like five. We could be. We could be or three. I mean, I just think there's oh, a scenario. Three. I mean, let's do it one. Let's yeah. do one. One. How about this? Um, to go in there and win under any circumstances is amazing because Bill Self's been there for 21 years and almost nobody has ever gone in there and won. It is, it, you, it is so infrequent yeah. um, that it, it, it's actually difficult to believe. And BYU did that last night. Seriously, congrats. That's amazing. Um, we can move on. We'll, we'll break. I just do want to say one quick thing here. We've mentioned on the pod before, if you're a fan of Kansas and you're a fan of UConn, you're aware of this, but just like one small thing is that UConn was, you know, I think of an understanding and an expectation that it was probably going to land Nick Timberlake. Nick Timberlake wound up going to Kansas. And because of that, UConn got Cam Spencer and there are other elements at play, but one team is in the mix for a one seed and the number one overall seed and has a real chance to win a national championship. And to me, Kansas, particularly when self reiterated last night that he doesn't know if they're getting McCuller back, period. Kansas is not on that tier. It's not in that conversation. Again, there are other factors in play, but it is interesting how a fairly um, a fairly well-tracked recruitment of a transfer player, like Timberlake was seen as like a top 20 guy in the portal last season and how it's just kind of gone unexpectedly. Keep that in mind, you know, fans uh, six to eight to 10 weeks from now when there are certain names that pop in the portal that you've got expectations on. That's fine, but just remember, nothing is guaranteed and we have these surprises and expectations and twists of plot every single season. Um, you got anything else you want to move on? Let's move on. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'll take it. Why not? Hey, listen, Reed Shepard, 
went God mode on Tuesday night. So we are going to talk about what Kentucky did on the road and everything from that. And a little more whip around. But first, Nada, can I get a word from our partners, please? All right, Deadland, we got plenty to get to. Bounces around this nation, but I want you to start with Kentucky, Mississippi State. We got to start with Kentucky, Mississippi State. So it's 9189. Let's talk about what the min- win means for Kentucky. And then obviously, uh, Shepard. I will start on Shepard here. Uh, 32 points, seven assists, five rebounds, two steals, two blocks, including technically the game clinching steal because Mississippi State, after Shepard hit. Uh, an improvisational, one-footed, off-footed uh, floater in the paint to give Kentucky the winning margin. Uh, he stepped in like a, like a free safety and intercepted it for good measure and then clinched it. It was the best game of his career. In my opinion, Reed Shepard is an All-American at this point, and he is coming off of the bench. 11 of 14 from the field. If you watch this game from start to finish, uh, he did have one bad turnover in the final minute and a half. But he really <laughs> made up for that by just... Uh, almost single-handedly getting Kentucky uh, this win here. UK was down in this game through much of it. And he had a couple of, like, Cal called him out, you know, playfully uh, near the end of the game or in the post game uh, for having a a bad three point attempt that just wasn't, uh, that wasn't there. But Kentucky uh, flipped this with a 44-23 change uh, in the second half. And I was extremely impressed, GP, because now we have seen Kentucky go down to Auburn, have its best defensive performance of the season, keep that team in that environment under 60. Then you had the the LSU game uh, with, you lost it and you blew it. No good. Not even like, hey, freak ending. Yeah, but you know what? You were up like what? 12, 15 points in the second half and you blew it. So you blew it. But then you set a program record, drop 117 on a ranked team had never been done before in program history. And now you go on the road against a tournament level team uh, Mississippi State GP, obviously, that, you know, highly rated defensively and you go in and you are able to get 91 points on this team and win the way that you did and come back. Uh, extremely impressive from Kentucky. We are now seeing different varieties and different styles of ways that they are finding uh, finding wins. And I find that to be encouraging at the very least. What were your thoughts on what went down at the hump? Well, the turnover late. Like Kyle was about to go crazy. Um, it, it was like, it looked like almost, you know, the quarterback throwing back across his body across the field. Like, no, the ball's in the air too long. And um, so that was rough. And how Mississippi State got even back in this thing was wild. But it 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 ends up where scores tied, Kentucky gets it out of the net, and you have that you know, the, the, the classic moment, do you, do you call a timeout and set something out or just let you guys play Cal? I think accurately, intelligently allowed them to just go like, Hey, even if this does, and I I would, in that case, always let them go. First off, I've got, I've got NBA players running up the court with the ball. All right, let's just start, start there. I got NBA players coming up to court with the ball. So let's, and let's just start there. And then, um, Hey, even if we, it's, we're tied. Worst case scenario, not worst case scenario. You could always turn it over. I got you. But like most reasonable, real uh, 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 scenario, the worst case reasonable scenario is we're going to overtime. So let's just play it out and let it go. DJ Wagner is the one who actually has the ball in his hands. And I thought this was great. Like he gave the ball up to Reed Shepard. 
Like, do you realize I, yeah. how many times has DJ Wagner in his life ever given that ball up? I I wouldn't say that it's totally uncommon, but in most situations, yes. In that situation, literally, like you know, game is on the line in a one possession situation. If he's got the ball in his hands, he's shooting it more times than not. But if you pay attention to that, um, and what Cal said after, uh. If maybe Cal called for it because obviously they didn't call a timeout, but it was for DJ to decide how this was going to go. And then Shepard, he kind of clapped for it a little bit, not not nearly the same, but a little bit like um, the Nova trailing play with Jenkins in terms of Shepard was kind of behind waiting for it. Wagner got himself in a tight spot. And then there was like, what, two and a half seconds to go. And just uh, so prototypical of Shepard to get the bucket the way that he did, because he does make the occasional bad decision. But Parrish, for every one bad decision Reed Shepard makes on a the floor, there are 20 good ones and great ones there. And he made up for the end. And um, he was he's already building to be quite the quite the legend in that state because of his family history and all that. But this was the kind of game where if Kentucky is I'm not saying it's if it makes the final four, but if Kentucky has a good season and it, it ends in a sweet 16 or an elite eight and maybe, you know, they might have an awesome memory in the tournament. This will this will be one of the high marks because it was the game that Reed Shepard took over. But I'll also say this and I'll give it back to you. Josh Hubbard had the game high. He had 34 for Mississippi State. He hit the huge shot before that. They hit this huge three. There was no timeout. He was outstanding. He is one of the 10 best freshmen in America. Oh, by the way, as well. You probably just haven't seen a ton of him. Um, so credit to him as well. He had an outstanding game, uh, but his team didn't get in the last chance at a bucket. Kentucky did. And Kentucky won. Reed Shepard last night becomes the first Kentucky player since Derek Anderson in 1996 to uh, get at least 30 points, at least five rebounds, and at least five assists in a game. So, like, truly unusual stuff. And he has the viral picture of him blocking a shot. Yeah. Oh, he's he's off the court pretty good. Yeah, like, that's uh, that's that's daddy's hops right there for sure. Yeah, like he, you know, he uh, swats away some long-standing stereotypes. He's a, like he's a he's not just a great college basketball player. He's like a like great NBA prospect. And I saw some people going back and forth this morning about you know what is he going to do. You know, I don't care what he does. That's up to him and his family. I'm trying to figure out what my kids are going to do. But like. If to return to Kentucky, he would be turning down the opportunity to be like a top five pick. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's crazy to think he could get into the conversation for number one uh, in, a, in a draft that doesn't have an obvious number one. So, um, you know, they, 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 it, perhaps it'll be a hard choice, but it would not be a hard choice for most people. Most pr- people projected to be picked where he's going to be picked. They, they leave school. But. Again, his situation is unique. Uh, his father's a wildcat. Um, he's, you know, an in-state young man. Um, you know, they, I, I don't need. I don't think they they need to rush off to the NBA to to get paid to, you know, to pay off a house. Uh, plus, there is real NIL money available at Kentucky. I would assume it's less than what the NBA contract he would be able to get. Oh, and it's. You know, and Sam Vecini, our buddy, who you know, it, he'll join us in a second. We'll see if we got time for him. We'll yeah. see if we got time for him. As he points out, it, it's not all about like where you're going to be picked this year, as much as what age do you want to get to your second contract? What age do you want to get to your third contract? And um, th- that that would serve as some motivation for uh, to influence Reed Shepard to maybe go now. But whatever, we'll, we'll worry about that later. Uh, for now, just focus on he is one of the very best and most talented basketball players in the country. And uh, he's coming off of Kentucky's bench steal. 
And I guess that's a thing. But if he doesn't care, I don't care. I mean, I'll laugh about it someday, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but like he he came off the bench and played 35 minutes last night. Whatever. As for Kentucky's body of work, it's still it's way better than it once was. But it's still they're eight and seven in the first two quadrants. They have the quadrant three loss to Wilmington Steel. That's about top. That's about five seed good. For, you know, based on the way I'm evaluating teams, they're about in that five seed, maybe four seed range, but clearly moving in the right direction. Last thing for me, like I said on CBS Sports Network last night, I don't know if I'll pick them to win the national championship or even go to the final four, but I will never, ever, ever hear on TV, anywhere else, say that they can't do it or be definitive that they won't because you can see it. It's not there consistently. But when it is there, it's so obvious to see. They're good enough to do it when they are good enough, um, you know, to not, to not get caught in the ways they've gotten caught so many times this season. To that point, uh, Antonio Reeves is just ho-hum, another 21. I mean, just very reliable, and his reliability is so key with this team. Um, between Reeves and Shepard, if we did All-American teams today... Um, I would have both of them as all Americans, second, third team. I don't know what order, but I would actually have both of them there because I think both of them have earned it at, at this point. And uh, even uh, the Croatian sensation found himself playing uh, a decent amount last night. Contr- contribution wise, it wasn't major, but I couldn't help but notice that, uh, that he was on the floor plenty. If you're a Kentucky fan, um, you're aware of this, but I wasn't until last night, courtesy of our CBS Sports Research folks. Kentucky is 19 and 1 against Mississippi State under John Calipari. And uh, so that is the expectation that you beat the Bulldogs and they were able to come back and get that done there. Uh, the Kentucky's also won four of its past five road games. So there's a lot of good stuff that is that is trending in the right direction overall. So that's, uh, that is encouraging. By the way, I neglected to mention the poll results earlier. Um, just uh, I said I would, so coming back around on that. Uh, Kansas ending its season in the Sweet 16 is the most popular choice among our live viewers, 44%. And then it's the first two rounds, 29%. Lead eight, 20%, and then final four, just 6%. Obviously, McCullers' availability is significant to that. Let's move on with the whip around. You know what? No setup at all. There was an if you went if if you went to bed early on Tuesday night, ho ho ho, you missed something epic. Nada. Let's roll it. Let's go. Let's go. No timeouts for the Rams. It's, that was history. Do you really, do you know the history? I don't know why it was history. I know I was losing my mind because we have a lot to cover at the end of that game, but inform the audience why that was history. Uh, Jared Lucas last night became the first Division I men's basketball player in history to hit a half-court game winner after earlier in the season fighting bats in an arena. Oh, there we go. He was the guy, huh? I don't know. That? I don't know. I just wanted to say oh, okay. that. Well, I thought maybe he was the guy. <laughs> Okay, this game was insane. Parrish was in studio. This was at credit to Fox Sports 1 on the, on the clip there. Um, but GP was obviously up at late in studio, so I know you talked about this on Inside College Basketball. The ending of this game was outrageous. Colorado State, uh, it, got, it started the game up 3-0, and then Nevada took the lead. And it had the lead until the final 
60 seconds of the game. And Isaiah Stevens, who is a freaking ball player, dude. I mean, the passes this guy was was delivering to set his team up. Nick Clifford hit a key three from the corner. Uh, Joel Scott, Patrick Cartier got some good opportunities there. And then Stevens hits the bucket that ties the game. And this is after Jared Lucas, who's one of the best foul shooters in the Mountain West, missed two foul shots. Mm-hmm. So the guy misses the foul shots. He shot. He entered the game 91% from the line. Okay. He misses those. But then he hits a buzzer beater from beyond half court that banks in on the road to win it. Has the, We love to ask these questions that are borderline unanswerable on this podcast. And I, this is unanswerable, but I think it may have never happened before. Has there ever been a case where a 90% plus foul shooter missed two foul shots back to back in the final 10 seconds to 15 seconds of a game and then went on to hit the winning shot from beyond half court? That is an incredible, incredible turn of events. 77-74 for Nevada over Colorado State. The Wolfpack at 23 and six has won four of its past seven. And at the start of February, you could argue it was not in the field, barely, but not in the field. And now it is comfortably in meantime, Colorado state, a team that, you know, GP six weeks ago was rating as the best team in the conference. It has now dropped four of five. The only one in there is thankfully a comfortable blowout win over Utah state, but it has lost at San Diego state at New Mexico at UNLV. And then it drops at home to Nevada. You would think that CSU will get back on the right track. It's still in the field with some room to spare, but it's got home Wyoming at air force. This was one of the, uh, this might have been the best finish. I don't want to say for sure, but definitely top three finish of the season parish. And it went down at like 1245 in the morning. But uh, thank goodness I stayed up to watch because that was so worth it. We were um, doing inside college basketball and this was my highlight. And you know how it works. They'll hand you a shot sheet and like it's late at night and everybody's tired. All right. I mean, it's late. And it, it, I, I I don't know exactly how it happened, but it was it was something like, hey, GP, do you want to see this? Now, keep in mind, we had been talking on TV. I did not see this live. All right. I didn't really I didn't understand what it. Ha- I knew that Nevada had won. That's all I knew. And so they were like, do you want to see? In other words, do you want to you want to see it before we do it? Because sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're just doing highlights and we don't actually know what's coming. It's We're just looking at a shot sheet and doing the best we can. But I said, if we got time, I'd like to see it. And so then they run it, you know, play one, play two. And then it's like the shot. And I'm like, whoa, whoa thank God I looked at this because <laughs> I would have had no idea this was about to happen. Um, it, it, so, it would, yeah, it's an amazing, an amazing moment uh, for a team that plays home games in, in an arena filled with bats. And the Mountain West is just we're going to end up in a situation where they're going to get all these teams in. And oh, by the way, UNLV won again last night. Um, they won like eight of their past nine something like look that out, yeah and yeah, look out yeah. baby yes and and it, we, we joked on sunday's podcast like everybody always says and keep an eye on unlv you know why mountain west thomas and mac but like they have four wins over ncaa tournament teams this season mm-hmm. you know they beat creighton they they and and they are playing well right now so this is like maybe the one year it's actually reasonable to say keep an eye on unlv the issue for the mountain west is going to be they're going to get all these teams in and they're all going to be six seeds every one of them no well, there i think there's actually i i'll say i'll say they got two in the eight nine game i think they could, could play themselves into that situation too so it's, yeah it's gonna be like they're, they're and this is gonna be bad for them they're gonna be in all these 
situations where they're not actually expected to advance, so they're not going to. And then everybody's going to say, "See, they should have never been in," and it won't make it true. Yeah, but, it won't make it true. But but it will make it um, viral. It'll make it all over the internet. Yeah, it could become a very popular thing, um, especially if there's like six Mountain West teams in the tournament, none break to the Sweet 16, and then the ACC has like you know we look up and Duke and Carolina. And oh God, let that happen. Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> forget, just cancel the podcast if that happens. We have nothing against the ACC in general, but that is trust me. I do. I actually, I did. Right, I, I, mean, actually, well, I actually have a few ACC bones left, to right? pick with the ACC. I have some bones to pick with the ACC. Yeah. So, so we, I'm very aware that uh, that that is possibly in the future. But what a game, man! Again, the Mountain West is the best watch this season of any conference. It just is, man. Every week, every damn week. It is as reliable as it gets, and that was an awesome one. We can keep moving on, because as always, on Wednesday, we're up against it with GP's Memphis show. Um, Texas won at Texas Tech, and I did not see this coming, especially not to this level. It was 81-69. The game wasn't that close. Texas was out in front for a long time. Uh, so two things here on this. One, Texas... Uh, I think you've now figured out the math on this to get them to nine and nine. You were having a little issues on Sunday's show, but it's been a couple of days. I figured it out since yeah. I went through. I put yeah. pen to paper. I got we this thing figured out. Now. Realized, realized I need to go three and one to get to 500. This was a mandatory win situation in order to get there. I thought it was important. Texas's you know, tournament resume uh, is a little bit more comfortable this morning, obviously, than it was 24 hours ago. But I don't know if people quite realize just how much nothing had been accomplished in the non-con there. And Texas was trying to eat off the Big 12, and that was a big road win. And then the other thing, of course, is that Brock Cunningham uh, <laughs> made a football move, got ejected for a flag or two, as he should have. And then that prompted the throwing of trash and water bottles and stuff on the floor. And then Grant McCaslin had to get on the mic. Uh, uh, ugly scene there. Fans are obviously frustrated with the loss in general. And now Texas Tech has really been stumbling as of late. So any quick thoughts on what went down at United Supermarkets Arena? Them Texas Tech fans listen to Grant McCaslin about as well as my kids listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> he said, don't throw nothing else. And they were like, <laughs> no. he's like, he's like, don't do it anymore. Not one more time. And they were like, here's another one. They're wild. They get wild down there in Lubbock, don't they? I wanted the, I wanted the Billy Tubbs, but that's not Grant's mindset. Billy Tubbs famously in like 89 right. or 90 said, I don't care how bad the officials are being. You can't <laughs> keep yourself on the floor. Just one of the all time. amazing. So good. And then there's, the, is it Steve Weish has the famous one? Yeah. You don't live in, you don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Amazing line. Yeah. What if, what if Grandma Gasson would have said, you don't live in Austin. You live in Lubbock. <laughs> yes. Come on, Grant. Can we get one of those? But has no, anybody no. ever has anybody ever said you don't live in Austin, you live in Lubbock? I don't know if anyone's ever said that. I don't think anybody's ever tried to criticize somebody by saying that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! But anyway, um, good win for Texas. Nicely done on the road. Uh, a team that didn't get it done on the road was Wake Forest, and yes, Norlander Jinx remains in full effect. Uh, they led the court report on Tuesday, as promised on our Sunday show. And uh, two things for me here: one. That is damaging to the Wake resume. You can make the case now that, yes, after the, the Duke win, uh, the loss on the road to Notre Dame. Although, Paris, did you look at this this morning? I can bring this up. Is that now a quad two? It was a quad three as of last night. Let me see where Notre Dame is this morning. So Notre Dame bumped up from one. It was 140 yesterday. And now it is this morning. Notre Dame is 132 in the net. So that is a eight-point bump and a road game. A road game for quad three is 136 to 240. That is now a quad two loss. Congratulations for Wake to Wake Forest. Forest. So Wake Forest does not have 
Again, arbitrary cutoffs. It does not have a quad three loss on the resume. However, you can still make the case that it is outside the tournament picture. But how about that? And you get this every so often. There's really heightened attention on it when these games are happening, you know, two weeks out from Selection Sunday. But yes, that is uh, that is the change there. And then, um, you know, when I when I I didn't know this when we talked on the show Sunday, but then I went and talked to Forbes and I talked to him a lot about Hunter Salas. And frankly, if Wake gets in, like I will write about that. But there was just so much there that uh, it's a court report. I can't be it can't be a, a two thousand word column to start off this thing. So there's a lot of <laughs> Hunter. Mean it can't? <laughs> and then uh, the rest of it can, but this can't. But what I didn't realize was that you know Steve, For- they've, you know they've been go- Wake Forest has like seventeen storylines right now. It's in it's unreal. There's obviously his wife is recovering from a stroke, but then like Forbes was even willing to go a little more in detail with me and basically say like, this has not been easy. And there have been days where it has been extremely hard and he has been away from the thing that's crazy about Wake Forest is that Forbes, if you go back to the summer and then throughout the season, like he's been away from his team, like 50 plus days and they're still in a position to maybe make the tournament. Like that's crazy to me. And then, you know, they lost at Virginia GP like a week and a half ago. He gets on the team bus and his brother's watching the Virginia game and he knows like about the time when his brother's going to get on the bus because he knows how this goes. He calls him. He's like, hey, mom's in the hospital. His mom lives in Iowa, man. She's been widowed for five years. She's just in bad health. And she was there for I think she might be out as of today. I don't know that for sure, but she's been in there for a week and a half. And so, you know, he's dealing with he's got to help his wife every day. He's he's her caregiver. And. You know, his mom is in her 70s and doesn't have her husband, doesn't have his dad anymore. So he's been going through a ton. And Forbes, as you well know, is as self-deprecating and really, really willing to dish it as much as he'll take it. Like really a, a, a great guy to talk to. Like he's been going through a ton. So a lot of the court report stuff was just on everything that that program has been going through. And is, despite all this, you know, they might make this their second tournament in a decade and a half. So there's a ton with Wake. And um yeah, no doubt about it. He's pissed as hell that they lost on that uh, that game on the road because now I think they're narrowly on the outside looking in. Yeah, that that was tough, and it it I I don't want to say I predicted it because I didn't, but it was like, man, that's a tricky spot. It, it, just like Washington State last week, you know, you you get so up for this moment, and then you actually do what it is you were hoping to do, and to then have to just turn around and be like, all right, let's go, you know. Let's 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 now this let's go to a place where we're not going to have the same type of energy and fo- it's just human nature. It's hard to get back to that same place again so quickly um, against an unranked team and a a, a, a a game that is off of most people's radar. So it, it's understandable why it happened, because it happens to college basketball teams all the time. But it's still disappointing if you're a Wake fan, because uh you know, I don't want to say you undid all the good you did over the weekend, but you certainly undid some of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one. Palm has wake out as of this morning, um, and now they got to play Virginia Tech on the road. Like you need to now, you got to win that, and then they have a return. I think I think Georgia Tech and Clemson to close out the season. Uh, the bottom line is this: Wake, you you got to go two and one in the regular season, and you're probably going to be in then, and then we'll assess when you look in the ACC tournament. But that was obviously uh, that was a tough one on the road. Um, what else do we have here? Arkansas lost at home to Vanderbilt. Uh, it just, you know, it's just bad. Uh, Vanderbilt's not good and Arkansas loses. Uh, that's about it from Tuesday night. I do want to talk on what RJ Davis did on Monday. Um, he it reasserted his claim to be number two in the national player of the year race, uh, going for 42 points, a career high, seven, three pointers. He's only one of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So I'm in 10 Tar Heels to ever score. 40 or more in a game. 
I had this note courtesy of uh, a Steve Kirshner, who is a tremendous SID, longtime SID with, with North Carolina. And when, when Jordan is invoked in one of your stats, you know you've done well. RJ Davis and what he did on Monday night in UNC's win, closer than it needed to be win, by the way, against, uh, against Miami. He became, let me bring this up the exact wording here. Okay, so per Kirshner, <laughs> this is outrageous. So um, he scored 42 of Carolina's 75 points. It's the first time a Tar Heel has outscored the rest of the team since Jordan in 83 when he scored 39 of Carolina's 72 in a similarly close win over Georgia Tech. It was an outrageously good performance by R.J. Davis. Um, it was, I mean, Reed Shepard, R.J. Davis, studs of the week so far. We'll see if those performances, Jared Lucas will give you your shine too for what you were able to do there in Colorado State on Tuesday night. But uh, just incredible stuff, man. And and set a Smith Center record. There had never been a person, period, in any kind of game. This is according to UNC Athletics that had scored 42 points in that building. And whether it's in a Carolina uniform, an opponent's uniform, they've played NCAA tournament games. No one had ever scored 42 or more in that building. R.J. Davis has done it. Congrats to him. Congrats to UNC. That's your fourth one seed right now. Yeah, I just went and grabbed. Um, I'm not sure it's your fourth one seed right now, but we, we don't have to debate that today. Um I just went through and tried to find like other greats who have played inside that building. In addition to all the North Carolina players, Tim Duncan, Grant Hill, uh, Lynn Bias, Christian Leitner, Chris Paul, Stefan Marbury, Michael Jordan. <laughs> I, I said, in addition to all the North Carolina, oh, I, guys. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you were getting there. Sorry. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Like Jason Tatum, you know, Zion Williamson, Leaky black. I mean, <laughs> Leaky black is played Thank there. You? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Cormac Ryan's played there, you know, <laughs> and nobody's ever done what that young man did the other night. I'm glad you because sometimes by Wednesday morning, stuff that happened on Monday night just feels so, uh, you know, a long time ago. But that deserves a mention. He's been he, he, like tremendous all season and better every season than the previous one. Exactly. Maybe not exactly the way you want a college career to go. Maybe you want your college career exact to go exactly like Carmelo Anthony's right. Get in there, be awesome. Win a title, get out. But what an amazing, uh, you know, he's, he's an all time North Carolina. Great. That That's not an easy thing to ever be. I don't care how good you are. Cause there's, there's a lot of them, but he's an all time North Carolina. Great. He absolutely is. And, um, Palm is Carolina on the one line right now. Uh, who is your fourth team right now, GP, on your top 25 one? Uh, I, I, not I don't want to misquote myself. Tennessee. Yeah. I've got Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay, so you got Tennessee one. Um, if it is Carolina, maybe, and maybe Arizona is in the battle there. Uh, I wonder, just, you know, mark it down here February 28th. Will we see a situation? And it would take a lot to get there. UNC is the one or UNC is the two, but I think UNC has got to be the one in the West and Arizona is the two. In the West, Carolina up top, Caleb Love on the bottom, a lead eight matchup. <laughs> terrific. It would be terrific. We've got a long way to go to get there, but that is a conceivable Dr. Strange level kind of outcome. I have one quick headline note here before we take our second break and wrap up the show. Uh, it was uh, determined uh, and voted on on Monday that the MAC uh, is going to add UMass uh, in all sports starting in 25-26. So that means UMass will be leaving the Atlantic 10, which will go from 15 to 14 schools if it doesn't choose to add another school. And this is obviously being done for football. Um, certainly worth just bringing up because... 
it's a, it's a story that impacts basketball as well. UMass has not been as good as it should be, frankly, as a program for way too long. Right. So I understand that. And from what I understand, UMass fans are kind of split on this as well. There are some that are like, hey, listen, we have just not, we're not getting it done in the A-10 uh, period. And we want our football team, which might have some viability to go back and play in the MAC. I get all that. Um, but I'm allowed to just be a little bit bummed, particularly as someone who um, lives in the, lives in the Northeast, right? Um once debated going to college at UMass and applied at UMass. Uh, it just the A-10 is all about hoops and UMass to me, kind of like it was like UMass and Temple defined a lot and Temple's not in the league anymore. And it's another example of just, you're just stripping away a little bit of, of basketball's importance. And I get all that. Um, maybe UMass will be better off for this. Maybe it will. I don't know. It is going to be weird. I have not talked to Frank Martin about this, but the idea that... <laughs> Is he going to be? Uh, is he going to be psyched to be playing games at Central Michigan and Northern Illinois? I have no idea. But um, but if you're a hoops lover, I think this lands is like a real bummer here. Um, I understand why they're doing it, but it's just another example. And now this is what happens: it filters down. It's just not your power conference stuff. It filters down to these levels, and so your basketball first leagues get stripped away even more when these decisions get made for football. Yeah, we talked about it on Inside College Basketball on Tuesday night. I'm like you, a little bummed by it. I understand it, but I'm a basketball fan. I, I don't care about UMass football, but I do like the idea of UMass basketball. Like I, you know, my, you know, when when Marcus Camby and John Calipari were at the tip top of the sport, like that's my end of my high school, start of my college. You know, I'm a big college basketball fan. UMass mattered, and I know it hasn't been what it was and should be any time lately, but um. That's still a that's still a basketball brand. Like UMass still sounds like something that matters in basketball. Yeah. And to watch them willingly downgrade basketball conferences, mm-hmm. I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, just to put some numbers on it, uh, the Atlantic Ten, perhaps not as strong as it once was, but it's still the eighth best league in the country according to the net. The MAC this season is the twenty fourth best league it's in the country. Twenty fourth. That's what I saw as wow. of last night. Um, that's actually okay. The may, uh, the Mac is not as good as the A10, but that's even lower than I thought. Damn. Do you want to double check me? No, no. I mean, you, I'm taking you. I'm sure you're. I know the Mac is down, but 24 is is what I'm know. looking at right now. Is um, average? It, 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 they're listed. It's at bracketologist.com. Yeah, and they're listed by average net ranking of your league members. So Big 12 is one, Big 10 is two, SEC is three, so on and so forth. According to this ranking, Atlantic 10 is eight. And uh, the Mac is 24th. How about that real quick for me on that end? Because I just brought the Ken Palm history page. So it's 24 at Ken Palm right now as well. It was 19 last year, 20 the year before. Historically, the Mac ranks around 12, 13. And that's what it was in that neighborhood for a good decade before that. But for whatever reason, uh, the league has taken a major step back here in the past three seasons. So I can I don't like it from that perspective. Like UMass, this this program that was ranked number one in the country and in the final four in my adult life um, has just willingly decided we are going to go from the eighth best basketball league to the 24th best basketball league. I don't like that. When I say I don't like it, that's what I mean. I do understand it. Every decision, like I said last night on television um, these days is made by is motivated by money and or football. And here we are. Um, I just on based on nothing more than Twitter replies. I, I gather UMass fans are, it looks to me like maybe split, sure, but 
certainly the replies I'm getting are more in favor of than not. It's like our football program could become something, but we've got to get it in a league where it could become something. And it, it just based on what some UMass fans were tweeting me, the long-term hope is we get our football program in a real league. We start winning that league. Then maybe it opens doors to another league. This could be a stepping stone type of situation. I don't know. Either way, I understand the motivation. I get it. Don't, don't tweet me and be like, well, what you don't understand, I do understand. I just from strictly from a basketball perspective in a, in that vacuum, I, as the uh, master of ceremonies, a 10 media lunch and pre pandemic. Yeah. I, I don't like this. Yeah. that's, that's fair. Um, you know what? I'm going to keep us moving here. Uh, so this is, I don't mean to be taking your thing, but let's just move on. Not a partners. We got to preview some games and other housekeeping stuff partners. All right, looking ahead to the next two nights. On Wednesday night, tonight, we got a doubleheader on CBS Sports Network. Inside College Basketball, 6 o'clock Eastern, 6.30. Rhode Island at VCU, 8.30. This is a good one. St. John's at Butler. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. Then we'll wrap the night with another episode of Inside College Basketball. Elsewhere tonight, number 11, Auburn at Tennessee. BP back in Knoxville. Providence at number five, Marquette. Louisville at Duke. This is Kyle Filipowski's first game since the court storm. See how he looks. Oklahoma at number eight, Iowa State. Seton Hall at number 12, Creighton. Big opportunity for the Pirates there. Number 14, Alabama down in Oxford at Ole Miss. Number six, Arizona at Arizona State. What do you like there? It's good nights. It's even more packed than Tuesday was. Auburn, Tennessee is the game of the night. No doubt about that. Two top six Ken Palm teams. uh, And we'll see if the Tigers, uh, who team reported Jalen Williams is going to travel with the team. Uh, I don't think he's going to play, but maybe maybe he'll play. I don't know. Um, I tell you what, if he played and he was effective, that, that might change the dynamic and uh, chances for Auburn to win significantly there. Uh, but that's just a good game and a good watch there in Tennessee. The game means something because now we are into the, that window clearly where Tennessee's fighting to be a one, one seed and got to win the game at home. If you want to be able to do that. So obviously watchable there. St. John's on the road at Butler double bubble game. St. John's needs to win to keep its case alive for being in the tournament. It's not in the tournament, even winning this game. I don't think would put St. John's in the tournament, but uh, I do think Butler lost here. If St. John's were to win, I think both teams would be on the outside looking in. I don't think that you can justifiably have Butler in the field if it loses this game as well. Uh, we are looking, we are looking at five losses in a row. If that happens, what's five losses in a row? GP trivia time. That's a um, that's a uh, that's the epitome of brutality. No. I on college basketball trivia time for the chat. What is five losses in a row? Let's see if that's someone a- gets it. That's a five-game disaster. No, no. Gosh, you can't even keep up with it. All right. Um, I, I know it was a two-game skid. Yes, three-game three, three game game streak. Swoon. And then I don't like swoon at all. Well, I'm still anti-swoon. It's, it's swoon, and you got to live with it. Five games is a slump. Of course Morning it is. Yeah, they're in a bad slump. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so... Um, so yeah, so keep an eye for Butler. That's in a, that's in a tight spot there. That's definitely a, a highly watchable game. But yeah, that and that that's that's a nice uh, that's a nice little Wednesday for you. I'll be dialed into any and all of it. What else we got for Thursday? Thursday, USC at number nineteen, Washington State. See if our Cougars can bounce back. That's number seven, the, uh, DJ Rodman homecoming game. By the way, I used to play for Wasser. It's a DJ Rodman homecoming game. Um, number seventeen, St. Mary's is at Pepperdine. And number 23, Gonzaga at San Francisco. Quad one opportunity for the Zags. 
ESPN two tip at 11 Eastern. That's a late night situation. Gonzaga needs to win that game in order to keep its at large case alive. In my opinion, it will not be in the projected field if it cannot win. This is at Golden Gate Mike Arena, by the way. It is not on San Francisco's campus. I don't know why they are playing this at Golden Gate Mike Arena. Hell, for all I know, <laughs> for all I know, Mike Anderson's going to be on hand at the game and they're honoring him at halftime. I don't know why be. they're playing this thing where the Warriors normally play, but good on you, Gonzaga, San Francisco, 11 Eastern, Golden Gate Mike Arena. Keep an eye, or Golden Gate Mike Center, I guess, technically, in keeping with the theme and the conceit there. Nebraska at Ohio State. Cornhusker's going to try and get a road win. I think that's a pretty big one. 630 Eastern FS1. And yeah, there's not a ton here. Like Memphis on the road, East Carolina, you can't afford to take a stumble. Um, so keep an eye on that. And then, yeah, LeBron James had a deleted tweet about, you know, how Bronny James isn't in the projected 2024 mocks anymore and now 2025. And then he's like, hey, just let the kid live his life and stop putting pressure on him, dude. You're the one who put the pressure on him. I know, so we, were, we, we were all letting Bronny live his life up until you tried to tell us over and over again. He's a one and done player and better than current NBA players. This is wild to me that he's yeah. so offended. The only reason Jonathan Gavoni has got to go on TV and say Bronny James is not a one and done player is because LeBron James has been telling the world that he is for multiple years that is true and uh i believe gavoni is a longtime dedicated pod listener shouts to you john i believe john also at one point had Bronny james as a top 15 pick as well so he might need to be uh giving some explanation for that as well he obviously is not and frankly and this is a discussion mostly for another time um i think there's a really good opportunity for a really really good story next season if Bronny james were to come back usc or elsewhere but probably usc and actually develop into like a really really good player maybe maybe it won't happen but maybe it will and if it does hey wouldn't that be an awesome story think about that a guy who goes into college and things don't go out work out the the way you know they're expected to the first year, but he stays, returns a second year, and maybe gets a lot better. Maybe his team gets a lot better. <laughs> Wild idea, I know. But wouldn't that be a cool story? So maybe just keep an eye on that as uh... an advice. An advice for all parents, you and I included. Maybe if if uh, maybe don't ever be the first person to 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 claim that your son's going to be a one and done uh, first round pick. <laughs> I will not be. Maybe let somebody else do that before you do it. Yes. Right? Yes. You might not be seeing it so clearly. That's uh, that's right. Well, as a as a father to boys who who literally in the past week took their you know they just went to their first uh, like you know future stars basketball thing and they're in this like two month program. Um, trust me, I'm not declaring that, but it uh, but they got another one on Saturday and I look yeah. forward to, to seeing them. All right, two housekeeping items and we're gonna get out of here because GP's got to get ready for a show. One, I'm doing this Friday whether you want to or not, but I want you involved. Okay, the D three bracket was released for the men's NCAA tournament. D three, I want to pick this thing. After not, it, yeah, it's the entire bracket. Whoever gets more is worth one final four and one thing. Are you are you willing to do this on Friday's show? Just go through, pick the D three bracket. the The point is, we don't know about these teams, and just see who does better. It seems like a colossal waste of time, but I'm not okay. above wasting time. No, no, I listen, do it all. I do it all the time. I will say this: if we do Friday's show and we're up against it, and you don't have time. You can leave the podcast, and then I'll just spend four minutes at the end of the show picking this damn thing by myself. But I'm doing it. Hey, I'm picking you, the D3 you, bracket. In the spirit of being a good teammate, if it means something to you, I'll play along. Okay, there we go. And then uh, Friday is March 1st. Longtime listeners of the show realize what that means, but I do want to give you a heads up. I am in the middle of writing like a big feature that uh, that I got to get done here. So normally I have the time to dedicate like some super creative and awesome and memorable show open. 
that is not going to be the case this year. I just do not have the time to do this because I'm working on a feature, which we will talk about very, very soon. And you might even be seeing more of what this feature is about. So uh, March is coming. You will have the music, uh, but it might be extremely basic when it gets there. And heck, maybe some people are like, just get me the music anyway. That is your heads up. There will be no super uh, detailed, creative thing I've slaved over like... uh, (laughs) Like some record producer for months and months and months. That's what I got for you. But Friday, Friday is March. Friday is March. Friday is March. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Huck and Larnell. Thank you guys once again for watching listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. There's more of us than there are of them. There still is. I mean, there I know... Are, yes. But it's still true. I know what happened. I know what happened. They heed all who enter, except those who, and then you fill in the blank. <laughs> There's more of us than there are of them. It, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. There are not, Every once in a while, we have a night where it doesn't feel like it, but it's still true. Needs to be reflected in the comments. So do that. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care. <laughs>